This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I think that there are people in government who don't like the subject access request system. By the way, in the same way that they don't like the Freedom of Information Act request system. And in some cases, not all, that is because the politicians concerned have had things that are personally embarrassing to them released by the FOI. This is Tom Fox. In this episode of Life with GDPR, we take a look at the recent enforcement actions by the ICO against companies who have failed to answer subject access requests. Live with GDPR was recently honored with a W3 award for best podcast in professional services. Thanks to all our listeners. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll be back with Life with GDPR. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox and Jonathan Armstrong back with another episode of the award-winning Life with GDPR. First of all, welcome back, Jonathan. Thank you, Tom. Jonathan, one of the things that has intrigued me the most about GDPR is the subject access request. And I say that because to show my age a little bit, I remember when the United States government first allowed Freedom of Information Act requests or FOIA requests. And when I was interviewing in law school, we were told if you interview with the government, make sure you don't get stuck responding to FOIA requests. So I see subject access requests as somewhat interest similar, perhaps rightly or wrongly, but it's something that anecdotally, if there's one complaint from corporations, this may be the single biggest complaint. I'm always intrigued when there's more information about this process, and we had a pretty interesting client alert from Quarterly Compliance. So with that incredibly long-winded introduction, why don't you tell us about this enforcement action involving subject access requests? Yeah, you're right, Tom. I think subject access requests have definitely gained <clears throat> in impetus post-pandemic. So I think it's a factor. You can always look at those factors that influence changes in compliance. And we've done a bit of work on that more generally at the moment. And I think it's almost part of this sort of quiet resignation and great resignation and quiet quitting, all of this whole thing about employees being less loyal to employers post-pandemic than they were during or pre-pandemic. And in some respects, I think that partly explains, partly only, the rise in subject access requests. So what's a subject access request? Anybody can send you a letter or a tweet or ring you up and ask you the data that you hold on them. We particularly see ex-employees do that, or sometimes current employees, particularly customers. 
And sometimes they do it just because they're mad at you, because they've had a bad meal in one of your restaurants, because they think one of your contact center staffs didn't treat their complaint seriously enough. Or they do it just because they're mad at you and they want revenge. And they're burdensome for organizations to deal with, particularly if they don't have the right processes in place. And we're increasingly seeing litigation and regulatory activity across Europe to remind organizations that they have to take their subject access requests seriously and they have to deal with them in a timely fashion. And for most organizations, that will mean that you have to deal with a subject access request within a month. And whilst that might sound like a generous time limit, it isn't by the time you've located the data and redacted out the data that relates to other people and gone through a threshold test to see what you should disclose, then the month will be soon up. You can get a two-month extension in certain circumstances. But again, I think many organizations aren't even dealing with the collection of data quickly enough. And to get the two-month extension, you must say that you're exercising that within the first month. And again, many organizations are failing here. So this particular enforcement action relates to a number of organizations that are sort of on the naughty corner, if you like, of dealing with subject access requests. There are seven UK organizations in total. Many of them are in the public sector, but one of them, Virgin Media, obviously ultimately owned by a US corporation, is firmly in the private sector. And effectively, what the ICO has been looking at is their SAR backlog. So in one case, for example, the UK Ministry of Defence, they had a backlog dating back to March 2020. So obviously, more than a month. And even though they'd set up a recovery plan to deal with the backlog had continued to grow. At the time of the enforcement action, it stood at about 9,000 requests that were waiting for a response. And on average, people waited for over a year rather than a month. Virgin Media, as I said, was one organization in the private sector that's subject to enforcement action. Over a six-month period in 2021, they received 9,500 SARS, and they missed the legal time frame for 19% of them. And they've been reprimanded as a result. So effectively, what's happened is reprimands have been issued by the UK Data Protection Regulator, the ICO. And each of these organizations has been given an improvement plan. So they've been given between three and six months to improve the situation, or they'll face further possible enforcement action. And remember that in the case of private corporations, that could be a big number because it could be a percentage of their annual revenue. In, in some cases, that could be up to 4% of their uh, annual revenue. So, subject access requests are undoubtedly challenging to deal with. Organizations do have to put in place proper policies and procedures to deal with them. It's not as simple 
as sending huge reams of data whenever anyone asks for it, because you have to balance the obligations you owe to other people as well. If you're dealing with customers, for example, you may need to protect the data of employees or cohabitees of those customers. If you're dealing with former employees who've gone through some disciplinary process, you may need to protect whistleblowers, for example, or co-workers who've expressed concerns. So there's always a balancing act to be undertaken. But delay is almost certainly the enemy of compliance in this area. So most organizations will have to invest in proper processes to make sure that they identify subject access requests quickly and deal with them and also have to look at training, again, to make sure that anybody, whether they'd be on the switchboard or an operative in a shop or an HR manager, can recognize a subject access request and act on it quickly. The ongoing discussion and debate around subject access requests, does this tie into a recent announcement from this UK administration that they're going to try and change GDPR or make it more business and consumer friendly? Possibly. I think that there are people in government who don't like the subject access request system. By the way, in the same way that they don't like the Freedom of Information Act request system. And in some cases, not all, that is because the politicians concerned have had things that are personally embarrassing to them released by the FOI procedure or the EIR procedure or the GDPR procedure. So in some respects, this is politicians almost being transparent about their wish not to be transparent, if you know. But there is a concern that somehow plumbers, for example, there's a backlog of waiting for plumbers to fix pipes because apparently plumbers are busy dealing with GDPR rather than be able to get out on the road and fix plumbing issues. I'm not sure there's a statistical background for the effect of GDPR on water leaks being fixed. I've not seen the evidence that backs that complaint. But nonetheless, the, tr the trust administration believe that plumbing delays are in part caused by GDPR and wish to change GDPR as a result. As with much of the announcements made by the current regime, we are short of detail. We have had announcements via Twitter rather than to Parliament. Uh, it's instructive, I think, that the entire policy announcement so far seems to be less than 140 characters. But we're told that some change is imminent. That could be to the SAR regime. But of course, that won't give comfort to many US organizations, because even if the UK changes the rules, the EU is unlikely to change the rules. And obviously, the extraterritoriality provisions in GDPR are somewhat complex to read. But for most US organizations, even if, the, even if UK law changes, they'll still have to deal with SARS under EU GDPR. So this, I think, is going to be an ongoing debate if 
information, credible information is brought forward about abuse. I'm sure that will make its way into the public dialogue. But I guess I'm reminded of when the our administration in the United States tried to change the SEC whistleblower bounty payments to reduce the top end payments. My question was, who's the constituency that would want that? And I think it's the same constituency that wants to cut back on SARs, subject access requests, those who want less transparency. I think that's right. And the given reason by some politicians is that this is an EU measure and we committed as part of Brexit to roll back EU measures. But that's frankly unintelligent. The UK has had data protection legislation in place since 1984. That was prior to the EU legislation. And in many respects, the legacy UK legislation was similar to GDPR. And in some respects, UK legislation is tougher by the imposition of criminal proceedings, for example. So if you get a subject access request and you decide it's going to be easier to delete the data than answer the SAR, then you commit a criminal offence. That criminal offence, to my knowledge, doesn't exist in any other jurisdiction other than the UK. So it's frankly ridiculous to suggest that all of these laws came from Brussels and they should be repelled back over the channel. But I don't underestimate the, the rhetoric behind a lot of this. And in some respects, GDPR is an easy target if you're trying to play to your perceived heartland constituency. Has Labour made its position known on this, or do you have any idea how the opposition might feel about what the current administration is saying? To be honest, I don't. I imagine that they think that they haven't seen any detail on the plans to be able to comment on them enough. But I, to be really honest with you, haven't seen the current Labour position. Obviously, some might say, given the way in which the polls are looking, that's the more relevant party to look at. Once again, I suspect we'll be continuing this conversation, Jonathan. Absolutely. All right. For Life with GDPR, this is Tom Fox and Jonathan Armstrong. Jonathan, till next time. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life with GDPR. We're going to link to the quarterly compliance client alert on this topic. So I hope you will check that out. The uh, link will be in the show notes. I'd like to tell you about two recent limited edition podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. The first one celebrated 100th anniversary of the publication of James Joyce's Ulysses. It's entitled Ulysses at 100, Lessons for the 21st Century Compliance Professional. The second is Never the Same, Why Business Has Changed Forever After the Russian Invasion of Ukraine in Five Key Areas, Supply Chain, Sanctions, and a corruption as a national security issue, cybersecurity, and ESG. You can check out both of these podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. The Ulysses series is under the podcast series, Greetings and Felicitations. This is Tom Fox. Thanks so much for joining us, and I hope you'll join Jonathan and I again where we take up another issue around GDPR.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.